0: This is jadev karande and uh, founder of wearcast and uh, i'm on the app guy the app guy podcast straight from your host paul the app guy sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment Guy Podcast.
1: And now, Paul the App Guy. Welcome to another episode of the App Guy Podcast. Uh, This is the show that talks with guests from all around the world, and uh, we have different guests on the show. They are uh, sometimes app developers, uh, sometimes entrepreneurs, and uh, authors. Uh, You know, today I'm really excited because we have just... uh, Fantastic guest. Uh, he is a bestseller, a New York bestseller. And so I'm really excited about talking uh, with uh, Brant Cooper. His name is Brant Cooper. And uh, if you go to uh, just Google Brant Cooper, he's all over the net. And uh, he's got a beautiful uh, website called uh, uh, Market by Numbers. That's market by numbers.com. And uh, just I encourage you to go and check it out. Brant, welcome to the App Guy podcast.
0: Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me.
1: No, thank you for joining us. We're really excited about going through your journey. Perhaps you could just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and how you got to write the, the New York Times bestseller.
0: Sure. So uh, I was sort of one of those uh, startup guys back in the 90s, went through the dot-com boom, uh, working at several different startups and, you know, had a, uh, experienced a couple of successes and growing companies and have, uh, went through one IPO and then also suffered the Crushing defeats of uh, you know uh, the startup that didn't work and the dot com crash and that sort of thing uh, and you know like a lot of uh, people that were in the startup world back in those days there was a lot of uh, reflection on uh, what happened what worked and what didn't work and uh, in the early two thousands mid two thousands I went out on my own and was doing some marketing consulting really around uh, trying to apply what we were calling at that time uh, sales and marketing R&D. So it was engineering processes for sales and marketing. So the nutshell of that is that instead of uh, thinking of sales and marketing merely as uh, tasks that must be executed, uh, that you really need to go through a learning process first to figure out, hey, am I building the right product? Do I have the right features? Do I know my market segment? Do I know how to market and sell to them? So it's this learning uh, before doing. And, uh, and that really blossomed into a whole movement in Silicon Valley in the late 2000s, led by uh, Steve Blank and, and Eric Ries. Um, and so 2010, uh, I co-authored the first purpose-written book to talk about lean startup and customer, customer development called The Entrepreneur's Guide to Customer Development. And uh, then Eric Ries came out with his uh, seminal work, The Lean Startup, which really took these uh, processes and ideas mainstream and really started spreading them around the world. And uh, last year, I published The Lean Entrepreneur. Uh, and the way I sort of differentiate those two books is I think Eric Ries wrote, you know, sort of why, you know, the big picture. And, and The Lean Entrepreneur is really for individuals trying to uh, change their own life or maybe try to uh, come up with their own revenue or try to uh, maybe make their own business more innovative more disruptive uh, all the way up to really super large enterprises or maybe you want to change the world and build the next big uh, big startup my book is really about the how- to um, and so that's uh, what what's brought me here today and I, uh, I've got a new book coming out in the summer and I get to travel the world speaking to Entrepreneurs and just uh, just living the dream, Paul.
1: Yeah, sounds great. And I know that uh, me and uh, everyone listening are just. Uh, thrilled and inspired by the journey uh, you know I would love to be, have such a, a wealth of experience that you've had first of all you know congratulations on getting the IPO done uh, I remember um, before I became an app developer and a podcaster I was uh, working in the city of London and asset management and I do remember the time of the uh, dot-com boom and uh, then the bust and uh, a lot of um, uh, people lost a lot of money. Uh, so, but, you know, we were in asset management, so we were just simply managing other people's money and it was theirs to lose. Uh, right. So <laughs> it wasn't so bad. Uh, we were just measured by, you know, the performance of the indices. Uh, but it's just it's interesting that you've gone through all these different roller coasters of a journey and you're still doing it and you sound still as passionate. Um, the, the other thing I was thinking of as you were talking is uh, the uh, book tour. And we just had an episode, episode 36, with Matt Frazier. Uh, of No Meat Athlete and uh, that's a book that came out and he did a book tour and he pretty much organized the whole book tour himself through Facebook and Twitter and uh, all the social media and uh, he did a tra- uh, traveling around and getting a lot of um, you know uh, meetups and uh, engaging with fans and doing book signing and that d- 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 does the publisher actually help you with book tours now or is that something that's not done as much uh, anymore?
0: Yeah no not really uh, if you're if you're a uh... A, a super high-powered author, you know, if you're the equivalent of a pop star in, uh, in the recording industry, then yes, they'll put marketing dollars around it. Um, but uh, uh, individuals like uh, Fraser that you're talking about and myself, we actually are startups. We ourselves are startups. Uh, the book happens to be one product that is emerging from that startup. Um, and so we actually have to go out and do the marketing and selling just like your app developers do or just like any of the entrepreneurs have to do. And and to tell you the truth, it's really not just selling the book. It's selling uh, – well, it's not even just selling, but it's providing value in multiple ways and appearing in person and doing workshops and having templates if those are appropriate and – uh, and, and going on podcasts and, and even having recordings from our interviews, from our books, all of these are part of what the value proposition that we're trying to bring to market. And so this day and age, really, the product is just one chance, one avenue. Uh, and, and I'm sure you experience it uh, even in your own podcast here, Paul. It's just a one avenue that you provide value to your community. And in that way, you know, you're a startup, too.
1: Yes, and uh, unfortunately, I don't have the IPOs under my belt.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's 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 hard to uh, it's hard to IPO in, in as an author or a podcaster anyway. So I think that uh, but it's you know there's certainly uh, there's certainly rewards in it, and I think that uh, all of us, uh, including the entrepreneurs that end up uh, you know getting to go to a public market what we have to concentrate on is the value that we're providing uh, the community and, and hopefully that community gets to be a large enough market that it justifies you know some equity then that's great but uh, you know, 99% of the businesses out there Uh, aren't going to achieve that and so it's really the healthy thing to do in my opinion is to concentrate on the value that we're providing.
1: Yeah given that you've um, had this uh, long career and uh, you've you know gone through uh, building up these startups do you think that we are in a tech bubble and uh, is it likely to burst anytime soon?
0: I was not one that believed that we were in a bubble uh, for quite a while. I guess I've started to change my mind and I, I saw a stat the other day that said there's a new fund closing like once a week or something crazy uh, probably up in Silicon Valley up in the Bay Area. Um, so the amount of money that is flowing into entrepreneurship and into tech right now is extraordinary. And I think that anytime time you have that amount of money that's flowing in there, then uh, yeah, you're creating a bubble. And I tell you what, I'm going to relate it back to my comment on value. Uh, if people concentrate on creating value, then there is no bubble because there's a marketplace that exists where people will pay currency for the value. If you have a bunch of uh, investors and uh, and capitalists and wealth creators that are getting into the picture, their motivation is actually to flip the companies for as much wealth as they can. And that's what creates uh, sort of a non, non-perfect non market in, in an Adam, Adam Smith sense. Uh, And creates those bubbles. And so, yes, all bubbles will burst.
1: It's interesting that uh, we we just had a guest on who was a former NASCAR driver and uh, he uh, started a business called Home Task. And uh, he was able to weather the storm through the recession of uh, America. And he put that down to adding value, adding value to his uh, clients and his uh, uh, audience. And uh, yeah, I think that we have to just uh, take note, write down in a big piece of paper here, add value and add value to everything we're doing. I guess they call that now content marketing a lot uh, of the terms that are used. Uh, if you come across uh, that term, content marketing.
0: Oh yeah, content marketing. We did a couple of case studies in the Lean Entrepreneur that, uh, that uh, talked about content marketing, both HubSpot out of Boston and uh, Brian Clark, a copy blogger. Uh, both in on uh, content marketing and, and really the value that they provide along with their software and their platform is really to provide value in their marketing. So in the, an example that your listeners might appreciate, uh, I have a uh, a framework in my book that I talk about, which is discovering the value stream, your value stream. And that's all of the steps that you have to go to from first creating your uh, Awareness that your your customer becomes aware of you, all the way to when your customers become passionate about you, and you have to reach this passion level because that's when they're going to share you and brag about you and act as a testimonial or a reference. So in other words, at that point they're putting new customers into the top of your funnel without you spending a dime on marketing. Well, that's that's a sign that you're you're about to be you know start growing uh, exponentially, and so that's what you really want to achieve. Well, so your product might not get you to that passionate level. It might be something outside of your product that you have to provide in order to get your customers to this passionate level. Your product is solving a specific problem. There's a value proposition around it. It creates a utility, a functional value. But what else are you going to do in addition to your product that's going to induce this passion among your customers? And one of those things could be content marketing. So in HubSpot's case, they have a platform for content marketing, but all of their marketing is around teaching small businesses how to use content marketing, how to be better business people, how to increase their profits. And so if those small businesses are successful, then they're going to become passionate about HubSpot because they're going to be able to tie back the platform plus the content marketing is uh, is how HubSpot made me a better business person, ergo, I'm passionate about their product. So I encourage your listeners, you have to think about sometimes outside the product, what's going to induce passion among your customers.
1: You couldn't have said that any better. And I I, I do agree that, uh, yeah, it's it's, uh, like Seth Godin talks about, uh, that we really do have to put all the the marketing effort into the product or the content that we're just providing. Uh, I was thinking, um, you know, you were talking about startups and uh, the I guess we could talk a little bit about the funding of that. Uh, We've got um, a future guest uh, who is um, currently uh, responsible for an incubator. And I know that there's a few incubators in the US. I've heard of Y Incubator uh, in California. And um, this one is awesome incubator. We're not, uh, I mean, we don't, I don't think we get those in the UK. Have you you got any views on incubators uh, for startups? Yeah, sure.
0: The, the, uh, there's a lot of people saying that we're in an incubator bubble, uh, separate from even just the startup bubble. and, and uh,
1: <laughs> okay. So
0: you have these communities that actually have several of these incubators. Um, and the same thing actually did happen in the dot-com days, and they were not very successful. They did not have a, a large impact, uh, according to uh, according to most people. Um, And so people are worried about the bubble of incubators that we have. There's a slightly different flavor that's popular today, which is really more an accelerator program. And the difference is is that the accelerator uh, takes startups and concentrates the amount of time that they're going to spend inside of a program to down to three or four months. And they provide a high degree of uh, mentoring. So the mentors that are involved in these accelerator programs are there to do everything they can to help this company succeed and to move uh, the needle of their, of their startup to a point that they can raise money. And uh, the other uh, feature of these accelerator programs is that they actually provide seed funding to the startups. So in the old days, an incubator was here's some space, here's some mentoring, here's some relationships that we can introduce you to, uh, but there's no real curriculum and you can stay here for quite a while and maybe you even have to pay for some of these services. Uh, and the accelerator program is three or four months, high degree of intense mentoring and some seed funding. And the idea is to really make those startups prove that they've got uh, some sort of viability and, uh, and be able to then put them in front of uh, investors demonstrating that viability. So in other words, Uh, during that three- or four-month time frame, they're not just sitting around building product. They're doing customer development, and they're selling the customers. They're actually getting traction in the marketplace in order to prove that this business model is going to uh, uh, work and be scalable. So it's a slightly different flavor this time. I, I think that there are probably too many out in the marketplace right now. I like the fact that they're regional-based, though, so you have them in Pittsburgh and Cincinnati and Grand Rapids, Michigan and Boston and Austin and Seattle, et cetera. So not everybody has to go to uh, Silicon Valley, so that's healthy. Um, and they really exist all over the world now. Uh, I visited them in in, uh, in Moscow and in Belgium and in Portugal and Spain and Italy. So they exist all over uh, all over. I know that London has them as well. And so I think that I like the idea. They're, they're experiments themselves, so I think people are still figuring out exactly the right model. Y Combinator and Techstars tend to be pretty darn successful. Uh, so there's still things to work out, but I, in general, I like the move uh, towards the accelerator programs versus the traditional incubators.
1: I was just thinking as well, as someone who's based out of the UK and um, just a few, uh, probably 100 miles away from London, uh it would be very difficult to uh you know join an accelerator program uh, but i wondered if there's any appetite for almost like a virtual accelerator program for all of those left out of you know from those cities that you've named
0: yeah no that's a great it's a great question uh i don't know of any offhand we certainly have a lot of video training now and i think that uh I think that they uh, that that's a hole, that's a gap that I think will be filled. I'm working with a a company called uh, World Mentor that combines online learning with uh, live mentoring that that uh, that might uh, fill that hole. I think that the the difficulty is is that the mentoring is so important. How do you do the mentoring right when it's across the country or across the world? Um, the other option is is that a number of these accelerator programs. Uh, take applicants from all over the world. So, for example, if you wanted to do a startup, you could apply to go to Santiago, Chile, and take part in the Startup Chile program. And I think that there's a new wave of those type of incubators and accelerator programs. Uh, A matter of fact, I'm working on one myself here in San Diego, um, so that if you're working on a startup, you can actually come to San Diego, and you will get the mentoring and the education and leadership training and even wellness Uh, here in beautiful San Diego and hopefully by the time you graduate you're ready to go and rock your startup.
1: You know that's the second time San Diego has been mentioned today and uh, I know that Steve Olsher who I uh, uh, recently uh, interviewed was saying that uh, there's a conference he was trying to get me over to Uh, and now uh, uh, what's San Diego like to live and uh, is it a good place to to actually, um, you know, be based for a startup.
0: Yeah, two questions there. There's, there's, uh, is it a nice place to live? And, uh, you know, it's uh, probably 70 degrees and sunny today, and that's sort of the uh, Fahrenheit, of course, and that's uh, that's the normal temperature. <laughs> um, so, uh, it, San Diego is a beautiful place to live. Uh, we we uh, we play hard, but we work harder. There's an extraordinary innovation economy here. Um, uh, we certainly have a track record in defense and life sciences and uh, uh, sports innovation. Um, we've, al- we've also got a big wireless uh, uh, in- uh, ecosystem here, and uh, and tech is burgeoning as well. So mobile and internet and SaaS applications and analytics and cybersecurity. So it's really it's really a pretty exciting time. We can feel it. It's palpable. Uh, stuff is happening in San Diego. I'm super active in building the ecosystem here. Uh, so in June, we've got the startup week, uh, where we're just going to be chock full of events and music and food and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, great mentoring and speakers and that sort of thing for a week in the middle of June. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, you mentioned a conference. Conferences happen all year round here because it's such a popular place to come. So yeah, I know I'm really, I'm super bullish on San Diego.
1: Uh, yeah, because uh, I, I re- remember visiting a couple of times uh, in the past when I was uh, studying in uh, the US, and uh, I remember that border crossing when. Uh, uh, visiting uh, Tijuana, I think it is, in Mexico. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty um, interesting uh, border crossing you have there. <laughs> but uh...
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's actually a big feature of our ecosystem because uh, w- uh, we have incubators and startups that are setting up uh, manufacturing on the other side of the border in Tijuana. And so you can leverage the economies of scale of, of high manufacturing without having to go all the way to China, for instance, and your quality control is quite a bit higher. Uh, and you're right across the border building the uh, the business side, so it's a it's a it's another emerging sector here in San Diego that's pretty exciting.
1: So uh, before we say goodbye, I was just wondering if there's anything we haven't discussed where you could um, you know share you could share with the audience perhaps some uh, wisdom or some experience that would help us you know and in, in, uh, achieve uh, the things that we're trying to achieve.
0: Well, so I think in general uh, what I try to uh, uh, try to instill in both app developers and entrepreneurs, I think, you know, I don't even know what the difference between those two, app developers need to be entrepreneurs. You know, we have sort of this myth uh, that's perpetuated in the media that the way you go big is by building what's between your ears and the market will, you know, beat a path to your door and you'll have this overnight success and voila, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you won't IPO but you'll be cashing, you know, six, seven figure checks. <laughs> And 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 really, the world doesn't work that way. And so the answer is actually out in the marketplace. And so uh, the people who win, the app developers, the entrepreneurs are w- that win are those that understand their market segment deeply. So that's understanding your customers deeply. And so that means getting out of your building and actually going and finding them and talking to them, and understanding what problems they have that they're keen on solving. And that's really where the big wins are. And it, it does get back to the value that we were talking about at the very beginning. Uh, is you have to discover what it is that you're going to provide that is solving this uh, this need that a customer segment has, and you really need to start narrow and small in order to go big. It's hard to understand what the value proposition is for a large audience. It's easier to figure it out for a small audience and then grow it from there.
1: Yeah, I think that's we often forget that because we get sometimes overwhelmed by what the features are within the app that we can build. Or, uh, you know, we get excited about trying to copy something that's successful already. And, you know, you just look at the number of clones of Flappy Bird, uh, people trying to emulate that, that strange success that came onto the App Store recently. And uh, yeah, so there's clearly a lot of copycats out there, a lot of people that are just uh, th- thinking of uh, what they can do rather than, as you say, focusing. And, and certainly on the series of the app Guy podcast, uh, we've had so many entrepreneurs and app developers and, and authors and all sorts of um, successful people. And, and the key is that they seem to focus on problems, problems that need to be solved. And uh, that's just another reiteration of uh, how important it is to uh, actually be solving real-world problems uh, rather than just play, playing around with uh, fancy little widgets.
0: Yeah, you know, every once in a while, there's a black swan where something takes off, right? The uh, Instagram or or uh, or YouTube, even, and WhatsApp, and and uh, Angry Birds, and this this. Uh, you know, there's no science around that. You know, you can either. You know, build something, and you hope that it becomes something big like that, or you go and you tackle a problem uh, that you validated because you've gone out there and talked to customers. You know, if I'm going to put my money down, I'm going to bet on the second one and not not the first one. Hope is not a strategy, and and it's not something that you can replicate with some paint by numbers approach. So, uh, so I think that if you tackle it the age old way of going and solving a real business problem, maybe it's one that you started out you had yourself. Uh, but you still get out and you validate that market I think you you're uh, you're you're down a safer path to generating some real revenue
1: yeah and I was thinking we actually had a guest uh, Carl mattiola who uh, decided to actually sell uh, the product before it was even built uh, just as a almost a validation that that was solving a real world problem and uh, there was nothing yep. better he said than actually getting people to pay you for then solving that problem <laughs> so uh,
0: Yes, that's a that we we call that the uh you know there's the the concierge uh viability test or the or the mechanical Turk viability test where you pretend to have it or you pretend that it's already built and then you actually provide the value by hand. So there's all sorts of interesting ways that you can uh actually validate the your idea before you write one line of code or spend 1 on marketing. So those are the type of things that we talk about uh in the lean entrepreneur.
1: So um Again, before we um, wrap this up, I was just wondering, you know, uh, this is the App Guy podcast and we we love talking about apps and, you know, someone like yourself who's living in San Diego and uh, around, you know, the the technology there. Do you have a favorite app that uh, you could share with us or that gets you through the day?
0: Oh, great question. You know, uh, there was a app uh, that has um, they actually killed it, uh, but it was called I believe it was called Cloud Magic. Um, that was the best app to search through all of your email. So no matter how much I use email, if I'm trying on my mobile, I'm trying to find uh, content. Uh, this app was extraordinary at digging through all of, uh, all of the messages, the to, the from, the subject, as well as the content of the message and finding those emails that you were struggling to, uh, to find. And they did it very quickly. I love that app. So they shut that down, and now they actually have their own uh, email client. Um, basically, it's to replace, say, Gmail or just or Mail on your uh, on your iPhone. Uh, it's a little, it's a bit rough now. I'm still hopeful. It still searches better than any of the others, but it's a. Uh, it's, it's sort of an MDP mode right now. It's not really ha- It doesn't really have all of the features and functionality that one might need in a, a full-blown email client. So I'm actually using two email clients right now. Um, but I love, I love uh, Cloud Magic. So that might be one that people haven't heard about that they should check out.
1: Yeah, that, that's a great recommendation. We had uh, the founder, I've mentioned this in previous episodes, the founder of uh, Square One Mail, Uh, Branko Cerny, a a young guy who's just uh, obsessed with trying to solve the problem of mail. And uh, he was, you know, talking about just how difficult it it is uh, to manage email and how absurd that an email from Amazon giving us an offer on something has the same priority as an email from perhaps our parents or a business partner or, you know, someone that's very important to us. And so, uh, yeah, he's built this uh, client called email client called Square One Mail, and uh, I've been using it now for about a week and I'm really falling in love with it. It's a great way of uh, managing uh, email. And so, yeah, I definitely feel that there's going to be a, a lot more of these coming out, you know, like Cloud Magic and uh, just making our life easier with email because that has become a real burden of this um, overwhelming, uh, you know, uh, information overload.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and I think that's a great message for your app developers too is, uh, you know, don't uh, don't assume that uh, some of these markets are, are already done, right? I mean, I think that uh, what we're doing with mobile, the first wave of mobile was just simply to replicate what was on the web and to, you know, sort of replicate existing applications. But mobile really is going to change everything. And so all of sort of the legacy apps that have been on the web, both for business and for consumers, uh, and the first, you know, the first iteration of, of smartphones, All of those are ripe for disruption again. And so, yeah, I agree with you. Email is going to be one of those. Well,
1: how best can people reach out and connect with you, uh, Brant? What's the best way of uh, getting in touch?
0: Well, you know, I'm fortunate to have a name, uh, Brant Cooper, that is fairly unique. People can Google me, and it's pretty easy uh, for people to get a hold of me. I'm Brant Cooper on Twitter, Brant Cooper on LinkedIn, Brant Cooper on Facebook. Uh, You've mentioned Market by Numbers uh, I do consulting for large enterprises at Moves the Needle. Uh, I've got a new book uh, coming out this summer um, and starting a, a, a pre-order campaign here pretty soon with Jeremiah Gardner. And you can find that at LeanBrandBook.com. That's LeanBrandBook at uh, dot com. And I really do encourage uh, your listeners to email me and or tweet at me or whatever, and I will get back to them. So I. I uh, love engaging with with entrepreneurs. So I would I would certainly encourage yeah, I them do feel the job. that,
1: you know, sometimes when we listen to these things, uh, you know, I used to be um, you know, The same where you just feel a little bit uh, intimidated and frightened to reach out to people that you're listening to and may, uh, Maybe there's uh, You know a question that you have that you can uh, you know, get a response from. I know that one of our guests had an app that um, he found he had a lot of success when he put a Q and A within the app and could engage with the app users and get you know responses and uh, and get a you know really much deeper level of engagement than uh, just seeing numbers on a, an analytical spreadsheet. And
0: that's a great idea. Yeah, no. So that's it's exactly the same, right? So I want to talk to my customers, and, and you want to talk to your customers, and, and all of the developers out there should be talking to their right, customers.
1: Let's leave it on that with great advice. Uh, thanks very much for joining us on the App Guy Podcast, Brant. It's been just a, a real pleasure, and uh, you know, someone that when perhaps when your book is launched, we could get you back on and you could, uh, talk some more because it's just so much stuff we could cover. But in the meantime, thanks for joining us on the App Guy Podcast, and uh, we wish you all the best. Thanks for having me, Paul.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode. If you want to be a guest on the show or suggest someone, then please send an email to info at one mob.com. The App Guy Podcast.